the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Dave King Engineering in Portland. Pedro Bartez producing and engineering in Seattle. Today we're going to take a look at some of the headlines from the last several days on this President's Day. We'll also address that in just a few moments. But this just in, the Biden administration is reportedly taking its goal of a temporary ceasefire fire rather in the Israeli Hamas war to the UN Security Council as early as tomorrow. The administration is said to have proposed a draft UN Security Council resolution, which in part would call for a temporary ceasefire and call on Israel not to go into Rafah in the uh, Gaza Strip. Well, according to Reuters, the U.S. text states in part that determines uh, that under current circumstances, a major ground offensive in Rafah would result in further harm to civilians and their further displacement, including potentially into neighboring countries, end quote. Well, a former NSC official during the Trump administration said that the United States should be vetoing pro-Hamas resolutions, not proposing them by putting forward a resolution calling for a ceasefire and opposing Israeli military action in Rafah. The White House is effectively pushing for Hamas to survive to massacre another day. This is a complete betrayal of U.S. interests and values, end quote. Well, the Jewish state has uh, Hitherto opposed the president's attempts to torpedo its slated uh, seizure of Rafah, where one of the last bastions of Hamas terrorists and hostages, including Americans, are believed to be located. On Friday, the president made clear his feelings about Israel going into the, uh, the city, telling reporters, I'm hoping that the Israelis will not make a massive land invasion. The president added during the uh, same press conference that he had engaged with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the situation and that he had made a the cease uh, the case rather for calling for a temporary ceasefire so that hostage negotiations can continue the problem is there really aren't negotiations the world must know and hamas leaders must know if our hostages are not home by ramadan the fighting will continue and expand to rafah that's a quote from benny gantz an israeli security cabinet member and leader of the opposition party ramadan starts on the 11th of march on Sunday, Israeli Defense Minister uh, Gallant, he said the decision was one Israel would make on its own. Hamas is left with marginal forces in the central campus, camps rather, <clears throat> and with the Rafah Brigade. And what stands between them and the complete collapse as a military system is a decision by the IDF. Well, com- uh, commentators have noted that the hostage release um, uh, talks in Cairo are at a, a stalemate and Israel forces They've managed to free two hostages via limited incursions into the city last week. Gallant fired back at the international voices opposed to an invasion into Rafah. There is no one here to come to their aid. No Iranians, no international aid. He continued, there were 24 regional battalions in Gaza. We have dismantled 18 of them. Gallant said during a media briefing last week, now Rafah is the next Hamas 
a center of gravity. A U.S. State Department spokesperson said that we have also been clear that a full-scale Israeli military operation in Rafah should not proceed until there is a credible and executable plan for ensuring the safety of and support for the more than one million people sheltered there. End quote. Well, according to the State Department spokesperson, the best way to achieve an enduring end of the crisis in Gaza that provides lasting peace and security for Israelis and Palestinians alike is our strong commitment to the creation of a Palestinian state. Now, keep in mind that the Palestinians have rejected that notion um, every time it's been presented, every time there's been a credible offer. As such, the United States, he went on to say, continues to support the two-state solution and to oppose policies that endanger its viability or contradict our mutual interests and values. Now, some in Israel would argue that October 7th endangered the viability of a two-state solution. Uh, Yigal Karman, who is the uh, colonel in Israel's military intelligence service, said that Rafah crossing was a major area through which the worst smuggling operation went on for years when it was in the hands of the Egyptian government. If this is not stopped, there will be no end to the war and no end to war, particularly heavy missiles on Tel Aviv and its surroundings. The seizures of of Rafah will limit the war significantly, he went on to say. Well, he added, if the U.S. administration has a miraculous way to convince Egypt to fulfill its commitment, then there would be no need for an operation. Unfortunately, the United States does not pressure Egypt, even though it has all the capabilities to do that. But what remains is to pressure Israel. But this will not work because what is at stake is missiles on Tel Aviv. And Netanyahu cannot afford to end the war with a continued flow of missiles on Tel Aviv, end quote. Karnan is the uh, founder and president of the Middle East Media Research Institute. And in August, he predicted an Iran-backed Hamas terrorist attack on Israel, which became a reality on the 7th of October. When asked why Biden is imposing pressure on Israel, Goldberg, a senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracy, said there are lines being pushed that it's all about uh, Dearborn and that it's all about securing Saudi Israel peace. But the polling out of Michigan and the strategic priorities in Riyadh don't back up these arguments. It looks more like left wing ideologies or ideologues using the pretext of political necessity and the potential of a Saudi-Israel normalization deal to jam through all the bad ideas that never made it into policy for years. Well, it's been reported that uh, the president is putting Israel in a uh, vice in order to win over a large American Muslim vote in Dearborn, Michigan, which is critical swing state in his 2024 re-election campaign. There was a threat made earlier in the day by one of the squad members suggesting that Uh, Because we are unhappy with the president and his position on this uh, region of the world, we suggest that you vote uh, non-committed to him. In other words, do not support uh, Biden in his reelection effort. Well, on Sunday, Netanyahu told the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations the release of hostages can be achieved through strong military action and tough negotiations, very tough negotiations. That tough position has to involve the exertion of pressure. And the exertion of pressure is not merely on Hamas itself, but on, on those who can exert pressure on Hamas beginning in Gutter. Uh, Netanyahu added, Gutter uh, can press Hamas as no one else can. They host Hamas leaders. Hamas is dependent on them financially. I urge you to press Gutter to press Hamas because we want our hostages released. I hope that we can achieve a deal soon to release more of our hostages. But deal or no deal, we have to finish the job to uh, get total victory. 
The U.S. submission to the U.N. didn't immediately respond for more details on the president's planned trip to the Security Council later this week. Well, today, of course, is President's Day. When we come back, we'll talk more about that. How do we get from Washington's birthday to President's Day and whatever happened to Lincoln? That's coming up in the next segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Well, today is President's Day. It's a federal holiday. It's celebrated on the third Monday of February, but that wasn't always the case. It was originally established in 1885 in recognition of President George Washington. The holiday became popularly known as President's Day after it moved in the 1970s to Uniform Monday Holiday Act. It was an effort to create more three-day weekends for the nation's workers. And while several states still have individual holidays honoring the birthdays of Washington and Abraham Lincoln and other figures, President's Day is now popularly viewed as a day to celebrate all U.S. presidents, past, present, and future. Well, the story of President's Day, it dates back to 1800. Following the death of George Washington in 1799, his February 22nd birthday, it became a perennial day of remembrance. Well, at that time, Washington was venerated as the most important figure in American history. And events like the uh, 1832 centennial of his birth and the start of construction of the Washington Monument in 1848 were cause for national celebration. And while Washington's birthday was an unofficial observance for most of the 1800s, it wasn't until 1870 when it became a federal holiday. Senator Stephen Wallace Dorsey of Arkansas was the first to propose the measure, and in 1879, President Rutherford B. Hayes signed it into law. Well, the holiday initially only applied to the District of Columbia, but in 1885, it was expanded to the whole country. And at that time, Washington's birthday joined four other nationally recognized federal bank holidays, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. That was it and was the first to celebrate the life of an individual American. Martin Luther King Jr. Day signed into law in 1983 was the second. Well, the shift from Washington's birthday to President's Day began in the late 1960s when Congress proposed a measure known as the Uniform Monday Holiday Act. And the law sought to shift the celebration of several federal holidays from specific dates to a series of predetermined Mondays giving, you know, us a three-day weekend. The proposed change was seen by many as a novel way to create more three-day weekends for the nation's workers, and it, it was believed that ensuring holidays always fell on the same weekday would reduce employee absenteeism. So there was an economic thought. And while some argue that shifting holidays from their original dates would cheapen their meaning, the bill also had widespread support from both the private sector and labor unions and was seen as a surefire way to bolster retail sales. Well, it certainly has done that. Well, the Uniform Monday Holiday Act also included a provision to combine the celebration of Washington's birthday with that of Abraham Lincoln, which fell on the 12th of February. Lincoln's birthday had long been a state holiday in places like Illinois, and many supported joining the two days as a way of giving equal recognition to two of America's most famous statesmen. Lawmakers even floated the idea of renaming the holiday President's Day. This uh, proved to be a point of contention for lawmakers from George Washington's home state of Virginia, and the proposal was eventually dropped. Nevertheless, the main piece of the Uniform Monday Holiday Act passed in 1968 and officially took effect in 1971 following an executive order 
from President Richard M. Nixon. Washington's birthday was then shifted from the fixed date of the 22nd of February to the third Monday of February. Columbus Day, Memorial Day and Veterans Day were also moved from their traditional designated dates. As a result of widespread criticism, in 1978, Veterans Day was returned to its original November 11th date. Well, President's Day never falls on the actual birthday of any American president. It's designed to uh, reflect on four chief executives. George Washington, William Henry Harrison, Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan were born in February. But their birthdays all come either too early or too late to coincide with President's Day, which is always celebrated on the third Monday of the month. So there you have it. Oh, by the way, while Nixon's order plainly called the newly placed holiday Washington's birthday, it was not long before the shift to President's Day began. The move away from February 22nd led many to believe that the new date was intended to honor both Washington and Lincoln as it now fell between their two birthdays. Marketers uh, jumped at the opportunity to plug up the uh, uh, the uh, the play up rather the three day weekend with sales and President's Day bargains were advertised at stores around the country by the mid 1980s. Washington's birthday was known to many um, Americans as President's Day. And that shift had solidified the early 2000s, by which time as many as half of the 50 states had changed the holiday's name to President's Day. And uh, sadly, most of us don't give much thought to the president's it is designed to highlight. Well, the largest ever COVID vaccine study linked to uh, links shots to small increases in heart and brain conditions. Well, this largest vaccine study to date has identified some risks. Uh, Researchers from the Global Vaccine Data Network in New Zealand, they analyzed 99 million people who received COVID vaccinations across eight countries. They monitored for increases in um, 13 different medical conditions in the period after people received a COVID vaccine. Well, the study was published in the journal Vaccine. It was last week. They found that vaccine, um, uh, the vaccine was linked to slight increases in neurological, blood and heart related medical conditions, according to the press release by the uh, GVDN. Well, people who received certain types of the mRNA vaccines were found to have a higher risk of myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle. Some viral uh, vector vaccines uh, were linked to a higher risk of blood clots in the brain, as well as an increased likelihood of Guillain-Barre syndrome, a neurological disorder in which the immune system attacks the nerves. Now, other potential risks included inflammation of uh, part of the spinal cord after viral vector vaccines and inflammation and swelling in the brain and spinal cord after viral vector and mRNA vaccines, the press release stated. Well, the size of the population in this study increased the possibility of identifying rare potential vaccines safety signals. The lead author uh, from the Department of Epidemiology Research uh, in uh, Denmark said uh, of the release, single sites or regions are unlikely to have a large enough population to detect very rare signals. Well, Dr. Mark Siegel, who is a clinical professor of medicine at the NYU Medical Center, uh, said in an interview that he was not involved in the research, but he commented on the findings. And he made the point, the massive study, the review of the data reveals some rare association of the mRNA vaccines and myocarditis, especially after the second shot, as well as an association between the Oxford AstraZeneca adenovirus vector vaccine and Guillain-Barre syndrome 
he said in that interview. But these risks are rare, and other studies show that the vaccine decreases the risks of myocarditis from COVID itself dramatically. He noted that all vaccines have side effects. It always comes down to risk-benefit analysis of what you are more afraid of, the vaccine side effects or the viral a virus itself, which can have long term side effects in terms of brain fog, fatigue, cough and also heart issues. Denying or exaggerating a vaccine side effects is not good science, nor is underestimating the risks of the virus, especially in high risk groups. The key is for doctors and their patients to carefully weigh the risks and benefits the doctor emphasized. Now, that did not um, weigh heavily in the minds of those who insisted that everyone uh, should have the vaccine during those uh, a heightened period uh, when the COVID was the COVID numbers were the highest, but nonetheless, he says that it's a decision that the doctor and the patient should carefully consider. In other news, the United Kingdom's Maritime Trade Operations Agency reported Monday that the Houthis they sunk a ship traveling in the Red Sea south of the port uh, city. In Yemen, it's the first time since the start of Israel's war on Hamas in Gaza that a crew had to abandon their ship because of the Houthis. Initial reports stated that there were no casualties in that incident and military officials who were in the area provided the crew with assistance. A report by Al Jazeera Network, which is based on a source of the feet in the field of shipping in Yemen, stated that the Houthis in Yemen attacked a British ship. The source added that the ship was significantly damaged, which caused it to stop in the water and that the crew uh, called for help. Well, after the initial reports, the spokesperson said the Houthi army claimed responsibility for the incident, attacked the uh, British ship um, Ruby Mar in the Gulf of Aden uh, with several uh, missiles. And according to them, the ship was carrying ammonia. And after it was attacked, attempts were made to save it, but it caught fire and began to sink. The sources said that the ship was attacked with a precise and new weapon that has not been revealed until now. This is the Houthis describing their assault. Uh, They were uh, supported by Iran. They've been uh, boasting for many weeks about their ability to attack Israeli ships or those that are sailing to Israel as part of their support for the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. In every official statement, they say that their attacks will continue until the Israeli aggression in the Gaza Strip stops and medicine and food enter the Strips. Uh, With the entry of the international coalition to fight against Yemen, the Houthis announced that American and British targets in the Red Sea were also legitimate targets. In another story, Yemen's Houthi militants said on Monday that they attacked two U.S. ships, Sea Champion and Novice Fortuna, in the Gulf of Aden. And the U.S. is investigating after an unnamed U.S. drone crashed near in uh, a city in Yemen early on Monday morning. It's not clear if the Air Force MQ-9 Reaper, an unmanned drone primarily used for intelligence collection, simply crashed or it was shot down. A spokesperson for the Iran-backed Houthi forces said that the drone was shot down with a suitable missile, in quotes. It wouldn't be the first time the militant group was able to shoot down a U.S. drone. They previously shot down an MQ-9 Reaper in November off the coast of Yemen. The U.S. has continued its strikes against the Houthis inside Yemen for the group's ongoing attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. And on Saturday, the U.S. conducted five self-defense strikes on three mobile anti-ship missile missiles, or cruise missiles, one unmanned surface vessel and one unmanned underwater vessel, the Houthi-controlled area of Yemen. According to the U.S. Central Command, the missile was unmanned a vessel. They were determined to present an imminent threat to U.S. Navy ships and merchant vessels in the region. The U.S. and the U.K. have carried out a number of joint strikes in Yemen, vowing to continue if the Houthis do not cease their attacks. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back 
to continue. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. I'm Georgine Rice. Well, a new ranking of presidents on this President's Day by a group of self-styled experts determined that Abraham Lincoln is America's greatest president, while Donald Trump ranks the last. Lincoln topped the list of presidents in the 2024 Presidential Greatness Project. Experts uh, uh, survey for the third time following his top spot in the rankings in the 2015 and 2018 versions of the survey. Well, according to a release from the Presidential Greatness Project, which is a bit presumptuous, but we'll move on, which touts itself as the foremost organization of social science experts in presidential politics. The 154 respondents to the survey included current and recent members of the President's and Executive Politics Section of the American Political Science Association, as well as scholars who have recently published peer-reviewed academic research in key related scholarly journals or academic presses. While the respondents were asked to rank presidents on a scale of 0 to 100, with 0 being a failure, 50 being average, and 100 being great. Rounding out the top five of the rankings were Franklin Delano Roosevelt at number two, George Washington at three, Theodore Roosevelt at four, and Thomas Jefferson at five. Trump was ranked in the last place in the survey, being ranked worse than James Buchanan at 44, Andrew Johnson at 43, Franklin Pierce at 42, and William Henry Harrison at 41. Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, and Trump were more likely to be ranked higher by conservatives or Republicans, with Reagan being ranked on average the fifth by Republican respondents, Bush 19th and Trump 41st. Among Democrat respondents, Reagan was rated an average of 18th, Bush 33rd and Trump 45th. So partisanship did play a bit of a role. A similar partisan divide was noticeable for Barack Obama and President Biden, who ranked an average of 6th and 13th. Biden was 13th on that list, respectively, among Democrat respondents and 15th and 30th by Republicans. Bill Clinton, a Democrat, was ranked higher than by Republican respondents at 10th than he was by Democrats at 12th. While well, the divide resulted in an overall ranking of 7th for Obama, 12th for Clinton, 14th for Biden, 16th for Reagan and 32nd for Bush. For what it's worth. The former President Donald Trump appeared in a Manhattan court for a, a pretrial hearing in the criminal hush money case against him. At the same time, in Georgia, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis was in the spotlight for her relationship with the prosecutor uh, she hired in the 2020 election interference case against Trump and co-defendants. Instead of being in South Carolina and other states campaigning, he said, I'm stuck here outside the courtroom after the hearing, calling the case election interference. Well, the split screen moment of the two legal proceedings will likely become familiar in the 2024 election cycle. Trump faces numerous criminal and civil trials this year. The first criminal trial looks to be the New York hush money case. Part of uh, Manhattan Attorney General Alvin Bragg's investigation, the judge on Thursday set the start date for jury selection in that trial for the 25th of this month. Trump said that he would be campaigning in the evening after attending trial. The legal challenges have not been the opposite of an obstacle in his um, or have been the, the opposite in his race to win the GOP nomination. But Trump's last major GOP rival, Nikki Haley, said the legal drama would lead to more electoral losses for the party. Donald Trump is in court today. There will be a verdict on another case tomorrow, and he has a trial starting March the 15th. Meanwhile, he's spending millions of campaign donations on legal fees. All of this chaos will only lead to more losses for Republicans up and down the ticket, putting in a broader context. 
Well, nearly half of voters think President Biden could be replaced as the Democratic nominee in 2024 amid growing concerns over his health. A Monmouth University poll released on Thursday revealed that Biden is seen in a more negative light than Trump when it comes to physical health and age, as only 32 percent of respondents think the president is physically fit to serve another four years. And as um, he flirts with a third party presidential run, Senator Joe Manchin said that he would consider picking Utah Senator Mitt Romney or former Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman as a potential running mate. Romney was the GOP nominee in the 2012 election against former President Obama. And by the way, since he made that statement, he's uh, indicated and I'm talking about Joe Manchin, that he will not be seeking a third party run. Manhattan Judge Arthur and Gorin ordered Donald Trump and his companies to pay three hundred and fifty five million dollars in penalties in a uh, in a Friday ruling in the former president's civil fraud trial and placed severe restrictions on the real estate mogul's ability to do business in New York. Trump's adult sons, Donald Jr. and Eric, each will pay four million dollars after Ngorin found them liable for multiple fraud counts, including issues, false uh, Uh, issuing false financial statements, falsifying business records and conspiracy. Additionally, former Trump uh, organization CFO Alan Weiselberg is being held liable for a million dollars. Overall, a $364 million penalty fine was issued to all defendants Friday afternoon. As part of the ruling, Trump organization is banned from taking loans in New York for the next three years. In that same period, Trump himself is banned from serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation or other legal entity in New York. The 92 page order states, well, that decision, which was made without a jury, ends a year-long case in which New York Attorney General Letitia James alleged Trump manipulated his net worth and inflated the value of his projects in order to receive lower interest rates. The ordered fine fell short of James' requested amount of $370 million in damages. Although there were no damages, he uh, honored all of the loans and there were no uh, complainants prior to the uh, Letitia James who campaigned on getting the president uh, issued these orders. Weisselberg and former Trump Organization executive Jerry McConnery, both of whom were found liable for issuing false financial statements, falsifying business records, insurance fraud and conspiracy, are permanently banned from serving in financial control function of any corporation or business based in New York. Both are also prohibited from being an officer or director of any New York corporation for the next three years. Trump attorney Alina Haba called in Gorin's decision a manifest injustice and said the former president plans to appeal that ruling. But he does have to come up with the money. It has to be set aside while that process continues. It is the the culmination of a multi-year politically fueled witch hunt that was designed to take down Donald Trump before Letitia James ever stepped foot into the attorney general's office, Haba added. Uh, If this decision stands, it will serve as a signal to every single American that New York is no longer open for business. On Monday, Representative Elise Stefanek, she demanded that James be disbarred or suspended over the clear bias demonstrated in her handling of Trump's civil fraud case. In the official bar complaint, Stefanek cited comments that James made regarding Trump before assuming office as attorney general in 2019. During her 2018 election night victory speech, James vowed to shine a bright light into every dark corner of his real estate dealings and vowing to take him down. In September of 22, James filed a lawsuit against Trump and his business empire for using fraudulent financial statements to obtain millions more in economic benefits. The trial lasted for three months from October 2nd of 23 to January 11th of 2024. 
Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, he died in prison on Friday. The Russian prison service announced, but they're holding his body for 14 days. Navalny was 47. He was one of the Russian strongmen that Vladimir Putin's most prominent critics and had been serving his extended prison sentence in an Arctic penal colony. Russia's federal prison service said in a statement Friday that Navalny passed away after feeling uneasy after a walk. On February 6, 2024, in penal colony number three, convict A.A. Navalny felt unwell after a walk, almost immediately losing consciousness, the prison service uh, said of him on their website. The facility, um, the facility's medical workers immediately arrived at the scene and an emergency medical team was called in. All necessary resuscitation measures were carried out, but they did not yield positive results. Emergency medics confirmed the death of the convict, the statement added. Well, Navalny's chief of staff blamed Russian authorities for killing Navalny and said his attorney is on his way to the prison. The prominent Putin critic went missing in December following a serious health incident, his team said. Navalny supporters were not given access to a video feed to watch the court hearings inside the prison where he was being held. His spokesperson said his health was deteriorating prior to the health incident thanks to Russians, uh, Russia's brutal prison conditions. And he did not improve his death in a Russian prison and the fixation and fear of one man only underscores the weakness and rot at the um, at the uh, head of the system Putin has built. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said on Friday, Russian authorities sentenced Navalny to an extended 19 year prison term of on extremism charges related to his anti-corruption activism. The politically motivated extremism charges were related to Navalny's anti-corruption activism and were backdated to his to January 2021, that arrest. He was poisoned with a nerve agent in August of 2020 and subsequently returned to Russia after recovering in Germany from the near-death incident. Russian authorities sentenced Navalny to a two-and-a-half-year uh, prison sentence for violating probation on sham embezzlement charges in the wake of his return. The Biden administration sanctioned senior Russian officials in March of that year for poisoning and imprisoning Navalny. Russian authorities extended uh, Navalny's prison sentence by nine years in March of 22 in the wake of Putin's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and subsequent crackdown. The embezzlement charges against him were widely condemned for being politically motivated. President Biden addressed Navalny's death in a speech delivered on Friday afternoon, he placed the blame for his passing squarely on Putin, saying, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. He said Putin does not only target the citizens of other countries, as we've seen with what's happened in Ukraine right now. He's also inflicting terrible crimes on his own people. The president celebrated Navalny's opposition to Putin's regime and pointed out Navalny's courage in speaking out against Russian strongman. His wife has vowed to carry on his her husband's work and suggested that Putin killed him three days ago. They're retaining the body for 14 days, and the suspicion is that the poison would be worked out of his system by then, or they uh, might be able to mask that in some way. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Well, the state of New York has been giving cash payments to thousands of migrants who typically wouldn't qualify for the state's welfare program. Democratic New York Governor Kathy Hochul's administration quietly changed the state's safety net assistance program eligibility rules in May to allow non-citizens who have pending applications for asylum to receive benefits, making thousands of migrants eligible for the payments. Well, the move is made through the state's Office of Temporary and Disability 
Disability Assistance, which sent a message to social service agencies in the state that report notes, though the agency would not say how many migrants are currently receiving the payments. Well, reached for comment. Um, the spokesperson said just a small portion of the $4.3 billion the government set aside for the migrant crisis has been used for the payments, estimating that 90% of the current migrant population in the state would not be eligible for the benefits under the new rules. But the report notes that over 173,000 have made their way to New York City alone since 2022, meaning that if 10% of them were receiving payments, it would amount to 17,000 recipients in that city alone. Migrants only qualify for the payments if they completed their paperwork to apply for asylum status and can only use the checks, which total hundreds of dollars per month, to pay for rent, utilities, clothes, and other necessities, according to the report. And on February 28th, the Supreme Court will hear arguments involving state laws in Texas and Florida that increase transparency and accountability for big tech companies. The laws would require social media giants to publish their user standards and then apply them fairly. The Babylon Bee filed a friend of the court amicus brief to explain to the court that when left to their own devices, big tech often abuses these vague policies to silence voices that challenge its orthodoxy, too often at the expense of conservative and religious viewpoints. Social media titans seem to have ultimate uh, unlimited unilateral authority to censor, deplatform or shadow ban disfavored users, content and viewpoints. The companies claim to be content neutral and often open platforms and they reserve the right to censor content that violates their community guidelines and rules against hate and misinformation and examples abound in 2022 twitter suspended the babylon bees account for hateful conduct after it named assistant secretary of health dr rachel levine as the site's man of the year Twitter refused to reinstate the bee unless it deleted the tweet, something the bee refused to do on principle. Had Elon Musk not bought Twitter, the bee would almost certainly still be banned. Humorless Facebook employees said, um, or rather read the bee's satire piece during Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing titled Senator Hirano demands ACB be weighed against a duck to see if she is a witch. Facebook quietly and quickly decided the article incited violence and refused to change its position. It's called satire. A few months ago, YouTube flagged the bee as a violent criminal organization, a violent criminal organization because it questioned censorship, apparently failing to see the irony. YouTube removed its video. If the leaked Nashville shooter manifesto is legit, what does it say about censorship? In the U.S., even after appealing this mischaracterization of the video's content, YouTube held firm. But this isn't just the bees problem. Far from it. Big tech driven censorship also impacts religious Americans whose faith animates some traditional views on many topics of intense political debate. Social media has repeatedly kicked organizations off their platform for supporting traditional marriage, opposing abortion and questioning transgenderism. In the past few years, faith-based and pro-life organizations were deplatformed at a uh, nearly weekly rate. In 2018, for example, Facebook temporarily suspended Pastor Franklin Graham for hate speech and dehumanizing language because of an old comment on North Carolina's bathroom law where Graham said we need to go back, back to God, back to respecting and honoring his commandments. Facebook later apologized only after immense backlash, but only after immense 
backlash. In 2020, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all censored praise and worship videos posted by Bethel's music, Sean Foyt, claiming his videos violated community guidelines. Well, that same year, YouTube temporarily booted theologian Don Piper's, or rather John Piper's audiobook, Coronavirus and Christ, for violating community guidelines, which apparently are very ba- vague and ethereal. Social media has also clamped down on pro-life ads from Susan B. Anthony List, Heartbeat International, Live Action, Students for Life, and even pro-life senatorial candidates, all while allowing Planned Parenthood's pro-abortion political ads without question. Well, this egregious one-sided censorship is why it's being argued uh, in the brief that the Supreme Court should allow states to hold big tech to its own rules and provide fair platforms. Well, the corporations respond to that uh, state laws uh, violate the, the First Amendment rights to exercise editorial judgment over content on their sites, missing the point. But again, the Supreme Court is set to hear arguments in this case and that's coming up on February the 28th. We'll follow that um, that hearing. Well, after a case of bubonic plague has uh, been confirmed in the state of Oregon earlier this week or last week, some people may wonder if there's a danger of the disease spreading in the U.S. Well, the Oregon resident who was first to contact the infection since 2015 reportedly caught the infection from a pet cat. Well, the bubonic plague is caused by a bacterium that's likely first introduced in the North uh, North American um, a continent at around 1900 from rats on ships coming from South Asia. Well, since its introduction 120 years ago, it's become uh, endemic in ground squirrels and rodents in the rural southwestern U.S. And though the plague has um, most recently been found in Oregon, most cases occur around the four corners areas of the southwest. The southwestern corner of Colorado, southeastern corner of Utah, northeastern corner of Arizona, and northwestern corner of New Mexico, primarily between late spring and early fall. Now, the Oregon case was a rare occurrence, but that it's important to recognize that plague is endemic to the western part of the United States and that pets can be exposed via rodents and other animals. However, this isn't something that the general public needs to worry very much about, we're being told. And although the disease can affect people of all ages, half the cases involve patients between the ages of 12 and 45, according to the CDC. Um, It's uh, globally between 1,000 and 2,000 cases of plague are reported in the World Health Organization every year, although only an average of seven uh, annual cases are reported in the United States, usually transmitted by one of three ways, being bitten by an infected flea, handling an infected animal, or by bathing, or rather breathing in the dust contaminated uh, by dried rodent urine and feces with the bacterium. Well, plague can be life-threatening in uh, if left untreated, but if diagnosed in time, it can be treated effectively with antibiotics. The best way to avoid the disease is to avoid rodents in rural and semi-rural dry areas in the western U.S. So there you have it. The chances of your contracting the bubonic plague is very minimal. Well, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to two that an embryo created through in vitro fertilization is a minor child and is no different under law from an unborn child in the womb. Due to the 2018 Sanctity of Unborn Life Amendment in the state's constitution, which declares it is public policy in Alabama to recognize the sanctity of unborn life and the rights of unborn children, the court held that the law protects the rights of unborn child 
of the unborn child equally with the rights of a born child. Well, using this president, Liberty Council filed a supplemental authority uh, today with the federal Supreme uh, Florida Supreme Court regarding the proposed abortion amendment to Florida's Constitution. Currently, the Florida Constitution protects the rights of natural persons. Uh, during the oral arguments uh, earlier this month, the Florida Chief Justice, he asked the attorneys um, on both sides of the abortion issue if the ballot summary should apprise uh, voters of how the proposed abortion amendment could impact the Constitution if the definition of natural person also included the unborn. Liberty Council is using Alabama's ruling to argue that Florida's constitution, like Alabama's, affirms an unborn child qualifies as human life, a human being and a person. In response to Chief Justice Munez's uh, question, Florida's deceptive amendment proposal, as written, misleads voters by not explaining how it will take away a protected right to life for the unborn. Well, the case involves a wrongful death lawsuit brought by three couples involving the death of their frozen embryos at an IVF clinic. The deaths were caused by a clinic patient who wandered into a cryogenic nursery and tampered with a um, uh, unsecure freezer, resulting in the embryos being dropped on the floor. The couples are suing the uh, the Center for Reproductive Medicine for wrongful death, negligence, wantonness, seeking damages for mental anguish and emotional distress. We'll follow that case and see what happens. Well, Special Counsel David Weiss has charged an FBI informant with giving false information after he alleged uh, if we allege, rather, that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were paid millions in exchange for their uh, help firing the Ukrainian prosecutor who was investigating the Ukrainian energy uh, firm Burisma Holdings, according to uh, court documents unsealed on Thursday. Alexander Smirnov, 43, is charged with making a false statement and creating a false and fictitious record during FBI interviews. Tax refunds so far this year are noticeably smaller than they were at the same time last year, according to early data published by the IRS. The average refund check so far this year is worth $1,395 as of the February 2nd date, and they're getting smaller. We're going to take a break. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour, and we'll be back. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, a GOP House lawmaker has introduced a piece of legislation that aims to reimburse Texas for the nearly $4 billion in expenses it incurred to secure the southern border in recent years. Titled the Operation Lone Star Reimbursement Act, the measure was introduced on Thursday evening by Texas Republican Representative Roger Williams and would, if successful, reimburse the state for the combined $3 billion it spent on activities related to securing the southern border from 2020 through 2023. The federal government is primarily responsible for securing the borders of the United States at and between ports of entry. The bill reads, due to the lack of action by the federal government, the state of Texas has been forced to continually appropriate funds to secure the southern border of the United States. In an effort to help maintain safety and security for all citizens in the U.S., the measure noted that Texas has protected Americans from criminal acts of human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug proliferation, illicit movement of weapons and contraband, criminal organization, and unlawful entry. To secure the border, the measure said, Texas spent more than 800, let's see, it's 800 thousand dollars in 2020 and 2021 and more than two billion dollars in 2022 through 2023 the bill also explained that texas plans to spend an additional 
$4 billion to secure the border from 24 to 25. The bill calls on Texas to submit an application for reimbursement to the Secretary of Homeland Security and the Secretary of the Treasury Department that includes the total amount of states um, spent on securing the southern border over the last four years. Well, a rather interesting proposal. A Rhode Island educator is speaking out about a DHS-funded program that purportedly promotes the teaching of media literacy and combating disinformation she claims is meant to indoctrinate children. Ramona Bessinger, a high school teacher at Providence, Rhode Island, authored a piece for legal insurrection on Monday, recalling the training she and other educators participated in last fall, blowing the whistle, she says, on an initiative from the University of Rhode Island's media education lab called Courageous Rhode Island. Starting in September of 23, I attended a 12-week online training through Courageous Rhode Island at the University of Rhode Island, funded by the DHS grant for over $700,000, she wrote in her report. The program is for K-12 through teachers and is promoted as media literacy. But it's so much more than media literacy, and the impact of the training turned to teacher interaction with students and how students could be utilized as reporting sources. Courageous uh, Rhode Island's website acknowledges it it uh, receives support from the Department of Homeland Security, saying it works to prevent rising violence and extremism in Rhode Island with the authentic and respectful conversation. Well, during her training, Bessinger, who identifies as conservative, said Courageous Rhode Island is was hyper focused on former President Trump, pointing to him as the root cause of all social media and media disinformation and inspiring violent extremism, striding January 6th while ignoring left-wing extremism. In the breakout sessions and project sessions, some teachers complained about their students with opposing views. According to one facilitator, these students were part of the outer group and would need to be brought back into the inner group, specifically conservative students that may have outwardly expressed support for Trump. Well, these students were considered violent extremist MAGA Republicans in the making. At every juncture, Trump was attacked and used to make the point that violent extremism and disinformation were a result of influencing entrepreneurs like Trump. When I asked for specific examples illustrating their point, none were forthcoming. The online curriculum itself takes aim at Republican elites, including Trump, who they accuse of utilizing conspiracy theories. She also said the program promoted performative activism and protests, encouraging teachers to instruct children on how to stage student walkouts and protests. Courageous R.I., Rhode Island, also hosts a youth media contest offering thousands of dollars in cash and prizes for students to create a presentation that addresses the question, how can media literacy, active listening, kindness and compassion and community engagement reduce the hate and fear that leads to violence? A spokesperson for the DHS uh, sent... um, A statement stating that the purpose of the targeted violence and terrorism prevention grant program, which awarded Courageous uh, Rhode Island funds, is to ensure safe and secure communities through prevention of violence. Violence prevention is nonpartisan and ideologically agnostic, although it actually isn't when it's being taught. And the uh, grant program, the grant recipients are legally and ethically required to adhere to policies and procedures that prohibit discrimination based on any protected class or belief. The statement continued. The program's purpose is to provide communities with educational, technical and financial support to help them establish and expand networks and resources that prevent targeted violence and terrorism of any kind for any reason. However, as innocuous as that sounds, that's not how the program is being implemented. 
Special counsel Robert Hur will testify before the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, he's uh, going to uh, testify about his investigation into the president's handling of classified documents and a public hearing before the House Judiciary Committee next month. Her, who released a more than 300 page report on his investigation last week, will testify before the committee on the 12th of March. Republicans have also made it clear they're eager to ask her about his comments on Biden's memory. Three House committees on Monday asked her to turn over recordings and transcripts from his interview with the president. Her didn't re- recommend any changes, any charges rather against the president, but did describe him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. A description that's raised significant concerns for Biden's 2024 reelection campaign by both Republicans and Democrats. Biden has blasted her since the release of that report. We'll follow the story and certainly provide information on that upcoming hearing. The White House announced a new attempt to cancel student debt because if at first you don't succeed, try five more times. Well, Hill, the the Hill reported that the Biden administration announced Thursday that it will seek to give student debt forgiveness to those experiencing hardship in the president's latest plan uh, for debt relief. The hardship category is one of five in the president's new student debt relief plan that is going through the negotiated rulemaking process. The draft proposal released by the administration would empower the Education Department to discharge the student loans owed by borrowers who are experiencing financial hardship and unlikely to be able to repay their debts. Undefined. The department proposed a one-time debt relief program that would automatically cancel debt in circumstances where its data suggests that borrowers are at least 80 percent likely to default on their debt within the next two years. So if there's a probability that you won't pay your debt, you just don't have to. I wish my creditors dealt with me in that way. Actually, I don't. I take responsibility for what I do. Conservative groups have been blacklisted from receiving donations from major charitable organizations. We've learned charitable foundations across the country are using lists compiled by left wing organizations to prevent donors funds from going to conservative and faith based groups, according to a review of public records and documents. When screening grant recipients, some community foundations that run donor advised funds rely on lists put together by the Southern Poverty Law Center and Horizon Forum that label mainstream conservative and faith based based organizations as hate groups. The DCNF identified 11 community foundations collectively controlling more than $12 billion in assets as of 2022 using the resources uh, produced by the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center or Horizon Forum to shape their donation policies. As a result of such systematic blacklist efforts, conservatives have been forced to create alternative charities that do not discriminate against uh, recipients or among recipients, such as the Christian crowdfunding alternative, Give, Send, Go. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Egypt is constructing a wall along the border of the Gaza Strip. Authorities there are fearful that an Israeli military push further into south, uh, southern Gaza will set off a flood of refugees. They're building an eight square mile walled enclosure in the Sinai Desert near the border, according to Egyptian authorities and security analysts. For weeks, Egypt has sought to bolster security along the frontier to keep Palestinians out, deploying soldiers and armored vehicles and reinforcing fences. The massive new compound is part of a contingency plan if large numbers of Gazans do manage to get in. Egyptian officials think a broad Israeli offensive could happen within weeks. 
The Times of Israel says Rafah, a city that sits on the Gaza-Egypt border, is the target of the next IDF offensive, according to their leaders. And Egyptian officials have threatened to suspend the country's 40-year peace accord if an attack on Rafah forces refugees across their border. Representative Rashida Tlaib out of Michigan is urging Democrats in Dearborn, Michigan, to vote against President Joe Biden in the state's upcoming Democratic primary. If you want us to be louder, then come here and vote uncommitted, Tlaib said in a new video posted on social media on Saturday while standing outside an early voting location. The representative, who is Palestinian-American, cited her dissatisfaction with the administration's role in the war between Israel and Hamas as her reason for urging people to vote. Tlaib joins progressive activists in Michigan who have been critical of Biden and his approach to foreign policy. She's called for a ceasefire in Gaza and has been critical of the administration since the war started in April. She was censored in November for her criticism of Israel and the use of the phrase from the river to the sea, which has been condemned by Jewish groups as anti-Semitic and those who are not Jewish groups as well. Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced a new military base near the southern border. The Texas governor announced plans to build a military base camp near El Paso, Texas, while responding to President Joe Biden's ongoing immigration crisis. The military base will house National Guard troops tasked with the sole responsibility of keeping the southern border secure and free from illegal migrant crossing into the U.S. Abbott said on Friday that the camp will be built on 80 acres of land in Eagle Pass and hold up to 1,800 Texas National Guard members. It will also have room to house an additional 500 members in an effort to keep the border security on lockdown. The governor said the first 300 beds uh, should be ready by April, promising not to reduce Texas uh, resources on the border anytime soon. The governor said announcing the construction of the forward operating base in Eagle Pass uh, that this new base camp will help improve conditions for 1800 plus Texas military soldiers deployed to protect Texans from the chaos at our southern border. Meanwhile, Russia is threatening to nuke the West if they are forced to surrender any ground gained in Ukraine. A close ally of Vladimir Putin on Sunday said that the uh, that Russia will launch Armageddon by nuking cities such as Washington and London if Moscow is forced to give up Ukraine territory it has taken over. Dmitry Medvedev, uh, deputy secretary of the Russian Security Council and a former Russian president and prime minister, he threatened that the U.S. and its allies would pay the ultimate price if Russia is forced to retreat. Hypersonic nuclear missiles would also strike all other beautiful historical places that have long been included in the flight targets of our nuclear triad, he suggested, from uh, Kiev and the West should allow Putin to have the bits of Ukraine he thinks of as Russia. If they got their way, they would uh, be a direct and irreversible collapse of present-day Russia, including its newly invaded territories. This is a, a serious threat, whether or not he has the capacity to carry it out. Um, is not as important as the threat having been made. President Biden is planning to scale back his aggressive push for EVs, as the public prefer gas-powered vehicles. The president is reportedly preparing to ease its push for to force electric vehicles onto American consumers as consumer demand for the vehicles remain low. Dealerships have expressed serious concerns and automakers. They've had to cut production and revamp production of gas vehicles. In a concession to automakers and labor unions, the administration intends to relax elements of 
One of its most ambitious strategies to combat climate change limits on tailpipe emissions that are designed to get Americans to switch from gas-powered cars to electric vehicles. Instead of essentially requiring automakers to rapidly ramp up sales of electric vehicles over the next few years, the administration would give car manufacturers more time with a sharp increase in sales not required until after 2030. Those people Uh, said from the administration. The administration plans to publish the final rule by early spring. The change comes as the president faces intense crosswinds as he runs for re-election while trying to confront climate change. And it hasn't been pretty. The State Department released on Wednesday its plans to embed equity into all aspects of the foreign policy-making process, claiming that any inequity is a national security challenge with global consequences. The report was released as part of an update to the Biden administration's initiative to push diversity, equity and inclusion policies at all levels of the federal government. These efforts include funding for foreign LGBT groups and pushing DEI into all aspects of the State Department's policymaking process. Anthony Blinken, Town Hall reports, wants to modernize the State Department by carrying out diversity, equity, inclusion and accessibility initiatives to make overseas missions more accessible. Well, this plan also coincides with the release of similar equity action plans at other cabinet level federal agencies, the left's uh, progressive transgender agenda uh, as well. So it will um, be an interesting uh, thing to see the pushback and what progress, if any, is actually made in uh, in the midst of this. Meanwhile, a California public library is closing because crime makes it unsafe for staff and the community. A public library there has shut its doors following months of rampant drug use, robberies, and even public sex between the bookshelves at the Golden State cities. Um, there uh, are being held hostage by criminals. The Contra Costa County librarians Antioch branch made the decision to close for the sake of the safety of their would be patrons. And again, um, public acts of uh, crime and debauchery taking place right there in the um, in the aisles. Well, on this day in history, 1473, astronomer Nicholas Copernicus is born in Torin, Poland. 1807, foreign, uh, rather former Vice President Aaron Burr is arrested on treason charges in the Mississippi Territory in present day Alabama. Burr would be acquitted at trial. 1942, during World War II, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs Executive Order 9066, which paves the way for the relocation and internment of people of Japanese ancestry, including U.S.-born citizens. 1942, Imperial Japanese warplanes raid the Australian city of Darwin. At least 243 people are killed. 1942, Operation Detachment begins. During World War II, as some 30,000 U.S. Marines began landing in Iwo Jima, where they began a month-long battle to seize control of the island from Japanese forces. 1963, The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan is first published by W.W. Norton and Company. And 1968, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, created by and starring Fred Rogers, makes its network debut on national education television a forerunner of PBS, beginning a 31-season run. In 1986, the U.S. Senate approves 83-11, to 11, the Genocide Convention, an international treaty outlawing acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group nearly 37 years after the pact was first submitted for ratification. 
1997, Deng Xiaoping, the last Chinese, uh, the last of China's major communist revolutionaries, dies at age 92. 2006, Israel halts the transfer of hundreds of millions of dollars in tax money to the Palestinians after Hamas takes control of the Palestinian parliament. 2008, an ailing Fidel Castro resigns as president of Cuba after nearly a half century in power. His brother Raul would succeed him. And finally, on uh, this day in history, 2014, on day 13 of the Winter Olympics in in, uh, Russia, Norway wins the first Olympic mixed relays in the biathlon, a biathlon rather, um, and uh, the uh, Bjorn Dallin He becomes the first and most decorated Winter Olympian ever with 13 medals. Ted Legety, he wins the giant slalom, becoming the first American man to win two Olympic gold medals in alpine skiing. All right, coming up, if you're listening here in Portland, more headlines in the Seattle area. We bid you a fond farewell. Hope you'll join us uh, tomorrow as we share some of the best of the Georgine Rice Show. Here in Portland, we have a radiothon for Pathways Clinic. So I hope you'll join us. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back to the Portland-only portion of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the New York City police officer attackers, they were members of a Venezuelan gang, we've now learned. At least two of the illegal aliens involved in that attack on the New York City police officers last month have been identified as members of a violent Venezuelan gang who, of course, are, have been welcomed into the country. Both migrants, one 19 and the other 21, have been detained by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The Department of Homeland Security noted that the two men, both illegally in the country and part of the Tin de Arugua gang, uh, which has been tied to a string of thefts across the city. One of the gang members has been ordered deported by a judge a year ago, yet is not clear why ICE never picked him up. Retired U.S. Marshal Robert Almonte, he explained that uh, the uh, gang started off as a prison gang, and they've ex- they're extremely violent in Venezuela, and of course now here. He noted that the gang is infamous for human trafficking, extortion, and murder, adding, they're over here now, so I don't see why they wouldn't uh, continue that here. Here's just another example demonstrating why the open border policy is so dangerous. No, I'm not talking about ending immigration, but legal immigration is the way we should go. But that has been jettisoned of late. Well, the latest on that mysterious January 6th pipe bomber. Well, one wonders whether this case will ever be cracked, but it gets uh, curiouser and curiouser. And the evidence keeps uh, pointing toward an inside job. As independent journalist Julie Kelly reported earlier this week, an individual who appeared to be part of a security team guarding the Democratic National Committee headquarters used a canine to conduct a search of a small sport utility vehicle in front of the building more than three hours before a plainclothed um, Capitol Police officer discovered an alleged pipe bomb just a few feet away from on January 6th. What are the odds? And it was was written in uh, January, in July, rather. The case of the D.C. pipe bomber is particularly interesting, given that he somehow avoided capture for a crime that was committed in the most heavily surveilled area of the most heavily surveilled city in the world. As one political analyst, Tristan Justice, noted, a whistleblower revealed the agency identified the car used by the prime suspect, but refused to track the vehicle down. Both bombs were reportedly inoperable, according to the whistleblower. When Director Ray refused to talk about the oddities of the case, Kentucky Congressman Brian Massey, he reminded him that it's been over 900 days since the bombs were discovered. Again, we ask, 
What are the odds? And why hasn't the FBI gotten to the bottom of it? Incidentally, Kamala Harris was at the DNC headquarters at the time, a fact she concealed to the extent that the Department of Justice falsely stated that she was at the Capitol and used that non-fact to suggest that trespassers there might have been endangering her. These people um, have neither shame nor integrity, particularly in this case. Well, in an interview with Russian Slate TV on Thursday, Russian President Vladimir Putin effectively gave his endorsement of Joe Biden. When asked who he would prefer to see win the election, Putin noted that he would work with any U.S. leader with, uh, who the American people trust, but he hoped that the leader would be Biden. He explained his rationale by saying he believed that Biden was more experienced, more predictable, certainly more predictable. He's a politician of the old formation, he went on to say. When asked about the state of Biden's clearly diminished mental fitness, Putin deflected, stating that he's not a doctor. Of course, Putin would prefer Biden primarily because he is, as he noted, more predictable. Well, that predictability is what uh, makes it easier for Putin to plan out and realize his ambitions. A predictable foe is much easier uh, to best than an unpredictable foe. Well, President Biden's LNG halt Well, follow the money. Using the excuse of climate change, the Biden administration halted any new permits for liquefied natural gas or LNG exports. The move was seemingly aimed at Texas, which was has defied Joe Biden's efforts to keep the southern border open. But there's more to that story as halting the export of LNG serves to directly enrich certain Democrat connected individuals who have heavily invested in green energy. Well, these include big time Democrat donors, the Rockefeller brothers and Michael Bloomberg. Furthermore, there's John Podesta, Biden's climate czar, who effectively spearheaded the push for the new LNG policy. His brother, Tony Podesta, is a big lobbyist who represents foreign energy companies, and Biden's new LNG policy is a boon for those foreign energy companies. Meanwhile, the House on Thursday passed a bill to override the Biden LNG permit freeze, with all 215 Republicans joining nine Democrats. Unfortunately, the Democrat-controlled Senate is not expected to take up the legislation, as it would prove to be beneficial to Republicans in an election year. Oh, it would be nice that the people were the focus of attention among lawmakers. The Kansas City parade shooting stemmed from a personal dispute we have learned, and the D.C. police union is calling on Capital City's liberal leaders to wake up after the shooting of three officers. An FBI informant has been charged with giving false information about Hunter Biden in 2020, and PolitiFact is uh, fact-checked Trump 1,000 times. In fact, they made it their boast. The report noted that the top three politicians behind Trump are Barack Obama, who has 603 fact checks, Hillary Clinton with 301, and President Biden with only 286. And while the site claims independence, transparency, and fairness are some of its core principles, Jacobson, the leader of the organization, acknowledged the inherent bias in the process. We are not doing a randomly sampled look at Everything said by every politician. So we do check things that we find significant, notable or interesting to us, he said. By those standards, the site tends to find Trump almost four times more interesting than Biden. Well, is George Soros trying to buy his way into silencing Republican talk show media? Well, it's a political nightmare that could be a future reality as the left wing billionaire reportedly purchased four hundred million dollars worth of debt in Odyssey the second largest radio broadcast network in the country. Odyssey broadcasts numerous political talk shows of popular Republicans nationwide, including Dana Loesch, Mark Levin, uh, Guy Benson, Sean Hannity, and Rich Ziola. 
Uh, Given Soros' radical left-wing political ideology, one could only imagine how it will affect the landscape of political talk radio. There has not been any confirmation either way. However, it would be a logical assumption that Soros could implement programming changes on channels that feature popular Republican talk show hosts. It would be another effort by the left's vast political network to control the flow of information and political messaging to the nation, especially with the high stakes of this year's presidential election. We'll keep following that developing story. Chicago has scraped um, together a gunshot detection system accused of racial bias, and they've decided it's no longer feasible there. The Biden administration wants more black veterans declared mentally disabled in the name of equity. Okay. Climate protesters defaced the Constitution with red powder at the National Archives. Apparently, they were trying to send a message. Not quite clear what that message would be. Older adults should expect a much smaller cost of living raise next year as inflation trends continue to slow. Based on January's Consumer Price Index report on Tuesday, Social Security Cost of Living Adjustment, or COLA, in 2025 is forecast at 1.75 percent, according to an analysis by the Senior Citizens League, a nonpartisan nonprofit seniors advocacy group. Well, that increase would be lower than this year's 3.2 percent adjustment and 2022, rather 2023's 8.7 percent, which was the largest jump in 40 years. And it would fall short of the Congressional Budget Office forecast of 2.5 percent. The Budget Office uses a different calculation than the Senior Citizen League, but clearly inflation rates are expected to fall from 2023 levels and the COLA for 2025 to be lower as well. Mary Johnson, the league's Social Security and Medicare policy analyst who does these calculations in each month, predicts. Well, new Navy regulations allow sailors to keep their hands in their pockets and wear false eyelashes. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but there you have it. Well, the total cost of Trump's legal debts. Well, New York has not uh, been kind to Donald Trump over the last few months, at least when it comes to the judicial system. The former president and current Republican primary frontrunner has had three civil lawsuits go against him. And with each loss, the penalty meted out against him has increased exponentially. Two losses in defamation suits brought by writer E. Jen K- Jean Carroll have uh, tallied nearly $90 million in damages Trump has been ordered to pay. And with Friday's ruling against him in a civil fraud case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia Jones, an astonishing $355 million was added to the total. Thus far, Trump is on the hook for a whopping $554 million in legal judgments. New York claims this is not politically motivated. And by the way, pigs can officially fly. The Department of Justice demonstrated selective outrage on false statements. We'll tell you more about that when we return for our final segment on today's program. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show on this President's Day. Well, the Department of Justice demonstrated selective outrage on false statements. It's nice to see Joe Biden's Department of Justice finally taking an interest in prosecuting folks who lied to the FBI. Well, on Thursday, Friends of Biden, Special Counsel David Weiss, he announced the indictment of Alexander Smirnov, a 43-year-old, a longtime confidential human source for making false statements. The charging documents say that Smirnov allegedly provided false derogatory information about Joe Biden and his 
pure as the driven snow sun hunter in 2020 after the big guy became the presidential candidate. So this guy not only lied to the FBI, but he also tried to interfere with a presidential election. Heavens. Well, as ABC News gleefully reported, Smirnoff is the same person that Republicans have called a highly credible FBI source and have used to claim Joe Biden is corrupt, according to multiple senior congressional sources. Again, it's nice to see the rule of law being enforced in this matter. But where was um, this uh, bevy of folks when the likes of Stephen Halper, Rodney Jaffe and Christopher Steele were spinning lies To the other candidate, the low-level foreign policy advisors, his supposed ties to nefarious Russian banks and his golden showers with Russian prostitutes. Well, moving along, nothing to see there. But don't dare utter a false statement about Biden's and his family. How will Smirnoff's indictment affect House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer's ongoing impeachment inquiry into the influence peddler in chief, as they would refer to him? Well, it won't, according to Comer. Indeed, when it comes to corruption, there's still plenty of there there. Again, a developing story to see if it actually goes anywhere. Well, the Secret Service now pulls some um, tripping duty for uh, for Biden. Not only has our um, uh, commander in chief been relegated to the short stairs on Air Force One, but he's also got himself a burly Secret Service catcher standing at the bottom of the stairs just in case. Even the New York Times had the long knives out for Scranton Joe now that he's uh, considered damaged goods following the her report. Even the way Mr. Biden walks to the presidential aircraft is subject to careful management, reports the Times in a piece titled Inside Biden's Protective White House. House. The Times adds the president started taking a short flight uh, of stairs directly into the belly of Air Force One rather than the tall stairway wheeled up to a higher point on the plane after he tripped and fell over a sandbag during a commencement ceremony this past summer. Now there is a Secret Service agent positioned at the bottom of the stairs when he disembarks. Never fear, though, according to the Los Angeles Times, Biden age is his superpower. The Department of Homeland Security doesn't um, bother to track migrants any longer. Joe Biden's recently impeached Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, admitted that upwards of 85 percent of migrants who are caught illegally entering the country are subsequently released into the U.S. interior. They supposedly are to wait a court date regarding a judgment on the legitimacy of their asylum request. But where do they uh, go after being released? Well, the administration doesn't know, even though the majority are given free flights and bus tickets. Recently unearthed emails from DHS officials and a Washington Post reporter expose the fact that the administration has no migrant tracking system in place. In an email dated September of 22, the reporter asked, are more people deciding to settle in D.C., New York, or more recently Chicago as a result of the program where they might have previously been inclined to remain in Texas or Arizona? The DHS official responded off the record. That's hard for us to say because they're getting on those buses after they're already out of our custody. In other words, the administration is engaged in de facto legalization of illegals. Indeed, ICE is planning to uh, mass release thousands more effectively saying adios. Intersectionality fight. Well, apparently the one, only religious objections allowed against the LGBTQIA plus indoctrination is Christianity. A case in point comes from the, uh, the St. Louis Park School District in Minnesota, where students from Muslim families have been given the freedom to opt out of LGBTQ plus affirming curriculum. After Muslim Somali families objected to the pro curriculum and initiated a petition and lawsuit against it, the school district acquiesced and exempted 
Muslim students. The opposition to indoctrinating students in the cult in public schools came as a surprise to one LGBTQ school board member who lamented the Muslims' lack of woke solidarity. I respect your religious beliefs and also as a queer person in a marginalized community, I would hope and expect solidarity, end quote, stated Sarah Davis. Muslim communities have been historically marginalized and so have queer communities. Well, as one Muslim parent observed, we believe that we have a sacred obligation to teach the principles of our faith to our children without being undermined by the schools. True. And that was what most of the people in this country used to not only believe, uh, believe in, but take for granted as a fundamental right as American citizens. But that is no longer the case. The Biden administration is failing to protect against HIV. The president's Justice Department has joined the ACLU in a lawsuit against the state of Tennessee over its law that makes it a crime for an individual who knows he or she is HIV positive to engage in sexual conduct with another person without first disclosing the condition. Citing the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Department of Justice and the ACLU are effectively fighting for the right of people to knowingly spread HIV to unwitting partners. The rationale, according to the Department of Justice, is that the Tennessee law discriminates against people with HIV. Huh. The hypocrisy on this is amazing, given the fact that the administration sought to mandate the novel COVID vaccine by asserting that anyone who refused to jab was effectively guilty of killing grandma by knowingly spreading the virus. What kind of standard do we have here? Double or otherwise. But when it comes to the law that criminalizes knowingly engaging in sexual activity that could spread a deadly disease without alerting others to the danger, it's seen as discrimination. Talk about misplaced priorities. Well, some good news. The prayer app is seeing a huge spike after the Super Bowl. I know this might seem out of the blue, begins Mark Wahlberg, but I've got Jesus here and we're wondering if you might want to pray with us. Well, so begins the TV ad for the Hollow app, which featured Wahlberg and Jonathan Romy, who plays Jesus in the TV series The Chosen. Well, the commercial ends with Wahlberg and Romy uh, encouraging viewers to join Hallow in prayer this Lenten season. Well, the um, ad aired uh, first time, uh, first commercial uh, during the Super Bowl a week ago. That was an expensive ad buy, as you can imagine, $7 million or so for a 30-second spot. Apparently, it was uh, money well spent, though, because right after the airing of the ad, Hallow saw the biggest spike in downloads in its history, according to the CEO, Alex Jones. Well, leftist media watchdogs are killing military recruitment. The uh, shortfall is a matter of national security. And Indiana Congressman Jim Banks has is isolated one of its causes. Leftist media monitors, which downgrade conservative news sites and thereby suppress recruiting advertisements intended for young conservative Americans. He sent a letter to the CEO of the nation's leading ad agencies in response. NewsGuard, as we already know, is a left-wing think tank, says Banks, a Navy reservist who chairs the House Armed Services Committee's subcommittee on military personnel, wrote, and we know that they censor conservative outlets. Don't get us started on NewsGuard, whose agenda-driven ratings do damage to our humble publication as well. Well, Banks continue, this is the 50th anniversary of an all-volunteer force in our military, and it's the worst recruitment year on record. Banks is right to be alarmed, adding that the Pentagon missed its recruiting goals by 41,000 recruits in 2023 alone. That means we're a couple of divisions short. A Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny's widow claims that he was killed by the nerve agent um, that uh, was administered to him before. 
She's going to soldier on. Truckers vow to cut off deliveries to New York City to protest the Trump's $355 million civil fraud ruling, but then stepped back from that threat. Joe Manchin has ruled out a run for the White House in 2024. House lawmakers unveiled a $66 million, rather billion dollar foreign aid and border supplemental. And President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act is meant to counter China, but prompted an explosion in Chinese battery imports. The Biden administration is backing away from its aggressive push for electric vehicles as consumer demand remains low. Glenn Beck has sounded the alarm on a new censorship effort targeting new climate denial. And Moscow warns it will fire nuclear missiles on London, Washington, Berlin and Berlin rather and Kiev if Russia is forced to give up territory or give back territory, in this case, in Ukraine. Israel has issued an ultimatum to Hamas, release the hostages or suffer the consequences. Well, you're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow for a very special radiothon with Pathways Clinic. I want to thank James Blinn for producing, David King for engineering today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.